Welcome to Finest Hours, the show where we share amazing true stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm Braden Cromar, joined by my co-host Hayden Hansen, and we wouldn't be anywhere if it weren't for our executive producer, Skylar Williams. What's up, guys? Howdy, everybody. And Skylar, that's just kind of a glorified title. We, we, you haven't actually done any producer work, but hey. <laughs> he is our initial investor, don't forget. He'll owe us 20 bucks. No, I don't. So int- introduce yourselves, guys. So I'm Hayden, and uh, that's me. That's all you need to know about him. <laughs> and this is Skylar, and just like Hayden, um, this is me. So Skylar, why don't you talk to us about who we are and why we're doing this? And what is this, Skylar? So we are three friends, and we've known each other for seven or eight years now you guys probably know each other a little bit longer than that but we uh grew up together went to high school did some stuff together mostly cross country and track but we're still friends one day you two got together and decided that you wanted to do a podcast and somehow I got thrown in there and so what we're trying to do is share incredible stories amazing stories that people have done that probably and hopefully not everybody has heard about. That way we can, I don't know, be unique and share just, just stories that will inspire people. That's why we're here. All right. So we're going to tell, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're talking about today. Today's story is about the struggle for survival and freedom of a war ravaged people. It's the story of healing the wounds of the bloodiest war in world history, defending against the advancement of a new global threat, and bringing hope to a conquered nation. It is also about chocolate. Today we are talking about the Berlin Airlift, America's finest hour, and the man who shined brightest in that moment. So today we're talking about the historic Berlin Airlift, and we're talking about a pilot that was a key component in that operation. That's right. So let's give our listeners some background on the Berlin Airlift. So Many people have probably heard that term, but may not be familiar with it. So after World War II, Berlin laid in ruins. It was the final stand of the Third Reich. And with the advancing Soviet army into the city and the Allied bombings, the city was just completely destroyed. Buildings were just reduced to skeletons. Uh, people were living in bomb shelters and everyone Everyone was starving and didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. So following the war, the Allied parties divide Germany up into different sectors. They're occupied by the Soviet Union, the United States, Great Britain, and France. The Western Allies occupy the Western sectors, and the Soviet Union occupies the Eastern sector. But Berlin itself lies 100 miles east of the divide, in Soviet territory, and it's again divided due to its political importance. So the relationship between the Allies deteriorates rapidly. Joseph Stalin, who is a name you should be familiar with, is not thrilled that 
there is a capitalist city located within Soviet territory. So as relationships continue to deteriorate, he blocks off all routes into Berlin. So the Allies are no longer able to transport food and coal into the city by road. So I was just thinking a little bit as you were talking about it, the difference between like a blockade and a siege. And so he wasn't sieging it because he owned part of the area, right? They split it. They split the city into different sectors. And so a part of it was his, but he was the city was surrounded by his territory. That's right. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> we so were thinking about that. What vocabulary <laughs> test throughout the show. I think that will be a thing. <laughs> a thing that we do. So a siege us. is, Hayden, give us a vocab. A vocab, a vocab definition for a siege and blockade an elementary school (laughs) definition so a blockade is where a power prevents traffic whether it be like from the sea by river anything like that i think of naval blockades when i think of that but it's just to prevent traffic from coming through a siege is more of an enemy coming and preventing any traffic like that so that's where they're similar supplies getting through and stopping it's trying to like cut off the inflow of things that are necessary to survive from an enemy. Stalin blockades the city and his aim is to force the Western allies out. He does not want the Western allies in Berlin. So his aim is to starve the Berliners into communist submission. So Hayden, talk to us a little bit about what the Berlin airlift was. All right. So that blockade starts, and the blockade starts right after um, the Allies introduce a new currency. And following that, two days later is when the Berlin airlift begins. And so in the beginning, the logistics aren't great. It's kind of messy. They're trying to figure everything out. There's only two airports that they can land in in Berlin. But they start cranking out flights, and they're flying in tons and tons of coal, flour, and other necessities so that the Berliners can survive. Yeah, and it started off pretty messy. It was just kind of thrown together, and it progressively got more and more organized. But at the beginning stages, it was very doubtful that they were going to be able to pull this off because they were trying to feed a city of 2 million people. And previously, airlifts had been relatively unsuccessful. And by the end, I don't remember exactly how many months it took for them to build new airstrips, but they improved from having only two places where they could land and refuel in Berlin to having five places. That's, so yeah, that's right. That it could be long-term. And so they were ready to really get things moving. They knew in the beginning, it wasn't going to be great. Everybody was on rations of, I think it was close to about 1500 calories a day when they started out. So it was not pretty. Can't get fat only eating 1500 calories. <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Uh, To put that into kind of an idea so everybody knows what that's worth, a Cafe Rio salad has like 2,400 calories. (laughs) (laughs) I did have one of those yesterday. And our listeners from Utah may not know what Cafe Rio is, but for our listeners in Utah that do know, you know. Hey, I'm pretty sure Cafe Rio is in D.C., so it's nationwide. Well, they're not paying us to sponsor them, so let's move forward. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's approximately uh, two peanut butter shakes. Which uh, there are endorsement opportunities, Cafe Rio, if you're interested. Please <laughs> us at at gmail.com. Wait, that's not our email. It's not. To us at finesthourspod at gmail.com for endorsement Pause. opportunities. All right, so let's pick back up. So they were flying a lot of supplies into the Tempelhof Airport. That was sort of their main base of operations within Berlin. And it was pretty much in ruins too. They were landing on basically sod runways. So uh, the operation was really mess, and they had to continue to work to build through the runways so the, the planes could land. And with so many planes flying into the city, the runways were getting absolutely destroyed. So it was a makeshift operation. Hey. All right, so <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Gail Halverson. So Gail Halverson is that pilot that we're going to be focusing on today. Gail Halverson was a, always dreaming of becoming a pilot. He received a civil pilot's license in 1941. And so being a pilot was always a dream of his, and um, he was the perfect man to go over and participate in that Berlin airlift. So Gail Halverson one day was walking around Berlin. Uh, One of his hobbies was photography. So he was taking pictures outside of Berlin and he walked up to a fence and there were several children gathered as the planes were coming in over their heads. Gail Halverson chatted with them in their, the little English that they knew and they became friends. And Gail felt that there was something unique about these kids because normally the U.S. military, when approached by children, would be asked for candy, sweets, some of the things that they, that the military was rationed. These kids never really asked any of that. And as he was getting ready to leave, he realized that and thought, oh, there's got to be something I can give these kids. So he reached into his pocket and had a couple of sticks of gum. So he took those out tore them apart and handed them through the fence to the kids who continued to tear them, pass them around. And when there was no gum left to share, they passed the wrapper around so they could smell the gum wrappers. Yeah. And he said they were wide eyed with wonder. These were kids who grew up during the second world war in Germany in total war. So they probably hadn't ever tasted candy in their life. So they were amazed. This was something they'd never experienced before. So as Halverson turns to leave, uh, he thinks there's got to be more I can do for these kids. And just then another C-54 cargo plane flies over his head and he gets an idea. He thinks uh, I can drop candy from the air to the kids. And he tells the kids of his idea and he, they ask him, how will we recognize your plane? And he says, I'll wiggle my wings. He recalled back to, uh, flying over the family farm back home in northern Utah and wiggling his wings so his parents could see which plane he was flying in. So uh, the, ki- the kids think it's a fun idea, and they're laughing and giggling, giggling and he walks back. Uh, a few days later, he begins planning his airdrop, and he thinks, oh, I can't just drop candy from the sky. So he starts tying parachutes to each individual piece of candy to drop to the kids to want candy to come and hit the kids in the head that 100 miles an hour yeah 100 miles an hour that's some fast candy that is fast candy so gail starts not only to get his own ration of candy but he asks the others with him if they will give him 
their ration of candy as well. That way he can drop them all to the kids. At first, they're not on board because they realize that this hasn't been approved by anybody. But after some sweet talking, no pun intended. Wow, that was very nice, Kyler. That's Thank why, that's why that we brought you to the show. Thank you. That yes. right there. But so after some sweet talking, he ends up persuading them to give them their ration of candy. That way he can drop it to the kids. And originally this was a pretty small operation. So they were just using some handkerchiefs that they had. And then they started using torn up pieces of sleeves and things like that. Just cloth that they were able to find. Eventually it built up to where they didn't have to tear apart their clothes to continue to participate. Like Skylar mentioned, this wasn't approved by anybody. This was Gail Halverson just deciding that this seemed like a good idea, so he went for it. And so eventually people started finding out what was happening. And the time that the word spread to his superiors was because the press caught wind of it. And the reason that the press caught wind of it is because despite all of Gail's best intentions of not wanting to hit anybody in the head with candy... He hit a reporter in the head with a candy bar. And so this reporter then put it into the paper. And now a lot of people start finding out about this. And so Gail Halverson was walking in one of his uh, superior's offices and he saw on the table that paper and saw um, that candy was falling from the sky out of these planes. And he was like, "Uh oh. And so he made a beeline out of there, but he did get called back in and he was fearing a court-martial. He thought that he was going to be in legitimate trouble for this. But with the news coming through the press the way it did, everything about it was positive. And so everybody loved it. And so the commanding officer told him, keep doing it. In fact, make it bigger. And so eventually it did get a lot bigger. Um, American candy makers and private donors started getting involved. It got to the point where every couple of days they were receiving five mailbag fulls of handkerchiefs to use as the parachutes, and they were dropping tons of candy. As Hayden mentioned, the operation continued to grow. American candy makers get involved. Private donors get involved. They start helping with the manufacturing of parachutes. And they actually established some regulations on it, on the size of, of the parachute cloth and the length of the strings. Very, very military thing to do, right? This quickly began to capture the hearts of the Berliners, and the United States was really using this as a a propaganda tool uh, because they realized that this new conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union wouldn't be one fought with bullets, but it would be two competing ideologies competing for the favor of world affection to establish the new world order. And a part of that affection that these Berliners was feeling towards the candy bomber or Uncle Wiggly Wings, as he was affectionately known, came in the form of letters. So all of these children started sending letters to Gail Halverson. And so we're going to talk about some of those letters and some of what these kids thought. And kids being kids, some of the stories are really great. Yeah, they began piling up in massive numbers. So we picked a few that we wanted to share. So Skylar, why don't you go ahead and start with yours? Yeah, so the first letter that we want to share is from Peter Zimmerman, who was a seven-year-old kid. As Gail would fly over, he dropped the candy, and he just could not get a piece of candy because all the bigger kids were beating him to it. 
And so Peter decided that he was going to send Gail a letter. And in the letter, he gave him a map and he actually cut his own handkerchief so that Gail would be able to use it and drop it to Peter. Well, with the map, Gail tried to fly over where Peter told him to. And due to the wind, due to still bigger kids, Peter just wasn't able to get some candy and so he sends gail another letter and he says look you're a pilot i gave you a map how'd you win the war anyway (laughs) which is hilarious um brutally honest yeah brutally brutally honest well peter continues to communicate with gail through letters um and coming to find out gail finds out that peter lost both of his parents and he was also in some very bad pair of shoes. Peter ends up drawing an outline of his foot, sends it to Gail. Gail finds him some really nice boots and is able to ship them to Peter. And later on, they continue to communicate and he actually, Gail actually helps Peter also become adopted by an American family, which was Peter's dream. Not bad for a dude that just started, you know, splitting gum at a fence. So No, not at all. Not bad. And there's tons of stories of the impact that he had on individual lives like that. And so the story that I'm going to share is from a little girl named Mercedes. Her family had some chickens. And these chickens were out in the yard and the airlift was coming right over. The noise, Mercedes believed, bothered the chickens. And the chickens weren't laying eggs. Um, And so she actually wrote to the candy bomber originally to ask him to stop um, flying the planes over her area (laughs) because she needed the chickens to lay eggs. But a little bit later, she then wrote and said, you know what, forget it. Just keep flying over. Keep dropping the candy. (laughs) Um, So she received a package in the mail from Gail. I mean, that wasn't a totally uncommon thing where he would respond to their mail directly with packages, with candy. And so that was something that I thought was really, you know, amazing. In today's day and age, sending a letter is a pain in the butt compared to, <laughs> oh, I'll just, I'll just write an email, send a text. And here he is sending letters, sending packages. To me, that's just something that I find really, really unique and cool about his story. Well, that was like sending a text or an email back then right (laughs) no way man he was texting all his friends (laughs) hashtag candy (laughs) and remarkably they did manage to maintain a lifelong relationship they remained friends i think they're halverson will get into he's still he's still alive today uh mercedes i'm not sure if she is but they've continued to have a a friendship through decades Yeah, Mercedes also drew a map, but they drew maps of like, this is my house, hit my house with the candy, drop it off here, because that wasn't always possible um, for Gail, even though he did attempt it, is he would then send the packages. He never was able to find the house. He was never able to hit the house with candy, but he returned. So this was all occurring during, you know, 1948, early 1949, and he returned and he was actually in charge of the base. And so when he returned in 1970, he actually visited Mercedes at her home. So 
I thought that was pretty neat that, you know, about 20 years later, that house that he had a map to, he actually ended up at. So let's move on to our final story. So the affection that the Berliners felt towards the Americans was not limited to Halverson. One day, Halverson is standing on the outskirts of the Tempelhof airport when a little girl approaches the fence. She's holding her mom's hand and she has a ragged teddy bear in the other made with uh, just scraps from around the house. And she approaches Halverson at the end of the fence and she looks up with him with sad eyes and she asks, please take my bear. And he tried to do everything he could to refuse to decline, but she continued to insist. Uh, And her mother spoke out and she said, no, you don't understand. When we were in the bomb shelters and the allies were flying overhead, she would not let go of this bear. And she believed that it saved her life. And now she believes that it will save the life of an American pilot. So he graciously accepted her bear. She did a little curtsy in her dress and walked away. So do you think that the bear saved his life or prolonged it? How old is he? (laughs) He's like 96, uh, 98, right? He's 98 years old. He's 98 years old today, and, and he's, he's still flying. Still moving, moving along and just fine. We should note that there were pilots during the airlift that did die. There were a number of pilots, American and British, that did die during this effort. Yeah, that's crazy. Talking about Gail uh, receiving that bear, is, it's a great story, and it is remarkable that you know these people that have nothing or willing to give what is most precious to them because of how grateful they felt. Honestly, so, oh, it's a, it's just, I'll add this real quick. It's just amazing to see that as he gave, they gave back to him the influence that he had on not only just kids, but a nation and even the world. Just, small things that people do can influence the entire world. From little things come big things, his father used to tell him. So to, to close us out, he had a major impact on Berliners following the Second World War. During this time, the United States and the Soviet Union are competing to establish a government in these areas and it's the middle of an election year for Berlin and the Soviets are printing propaganda saying things like if you go to vote in this election, you will effectively be voting for death. You will be voting for war and the Berliners starving refuse to turn in their ration cards for Soviet ration cards. They would not sell their freedom for bread. So Halverson today, he is 98 years old, as we mentioned at the time that we're recording this. He continues to make a number of appearances and accumulates a lot of awards. And that is a man who deserves a long life, and uh, he's certainly got one. Yes, every December, continues to do a candy drop, 20th time this year, I believe. 20th time this year in December? A 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary this year? In the city of Berlin. Correct. Yeah, that's something that's really amazing. He went back recently because it was the 70th anniversary of the end of the Soviet blockade. So that's how the blockade ends. 
it takes a little less than a year for the airlift to come to an end. They became more effective. We talked a little bit about how messy it was in the beginning. Well, by the end, they were pretty unstoppable. I mean, they were moving so quickly and delivering so many goods that they were increasing the rations and the Soviets are just idly watching as these planes pass over them. What was it? Like a plane was landing every five to 10 seconds by the end? It was something uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it, that number. it wasn't that frequently. It was about one every three minutes, actually. Oh, three minutes. I don't um, know where I read that then. <laughs> but it was... All those rumors, you know? Constant, yeah. constant buzzing overhead, which is interesting because during the war, the sounds of the Allied planes brought death. But after the war... The sounds of the Allied planes brought life, and it was the silence in the air that terrified Berliners the most. So, Sky, they close us out here. Yeah, so we hope you uh, guys enjoyed the show about Gil Halverson. We will be doing another one very soon, so stay in touch. Check us out on our social media. Um, our Instagram is at Finest Hours Podcast. And then please rate, review, and subscribe and let us know what you think or maybe who we should actually uh, talk about in the near future. That's right. We want to know who inspires you. So reach out to us on social media or send us an email at finesthourspod at gmail.com. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. (laughs) 